0: Well, turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 16 this morning. Romans chapter 16, I want to look at these names again, the greetings that Paul gives to the Roman congregation. Began looking at this last week, drawing out a few of the ideas that are here in the passage. We'll do that again today. So let me reread for us again verses 1 through 16 from Romans chapter 16. Here now, God's word. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Chintria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apellus, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray again. Let's ask for his help. Father in heaven, we come to you. We find great delight in your word and in your truth. So we ask today that you would be our Teacher, that you would give us the understanding we need. Your commandments, they're our delight. Your grace is our greatest joy. So fill us with light today. May the word enlighten our eyes, our minds, our hearts, our wills. May the the Holy Spirit warm our hearts. May the the fire of God so renovate us and form us more and more into your image. May the peace of God. abide on us as we consider your truth and seek to live in the light of it may jesus christ be praised and we ask these things in his name amen well what can a name tell you well perhaps surprisingly it can tell you a lot about the person who bears it just think what we read over and over in the book of genesis god is constantly bestowing new names on people when he does great things for them So when we meet Abraham, he's known as Abram, exalted father. Probably some kind of tribal leadership name because he doesn't have any kids yet. But after the birth of Isaac, God changes his name to Abraham, father of many. You see the promise embedded there in the meaning of his name. When Rebecca gives birth to her first twin, he comes out hairy and she gives him the name Esau which probably means Harry, And then when Jacob comes out grasping Esau's heel, she names him Jacob. That Hebrew word means he grasps the heel, and it becomes an idiom for someone who deceives. And if you've read Genesis, you know that Jacob lives up to his name. But after he wrestles with God, God changes his name to Israel because he struggled with God and he overcame. Just a few other names. They take on new meaning when you dig into them. Daniel means God is my judge. James is just the English form of the Hebrew Jacob. Isaiah means salvation is of the Lord and is closely related to Joshua, which means the Lord is salvation, and Joshua is just a variant of Jesus. The name Mary gave her son because he will save his people From their sins. Individual names can communicate powerful messages. Well, as we come back to Romans 16, we're curious to know what a list of names can tell us about the work of the gospel. There's a few individual names in the next few verses that tells us a few things about perhaps their background and and their history. But what happens when we take a group of names and put them all together as Paul has done in this series of greetings? Can they tell us anything about the gospel? Well, indeed they can. Paul here, he just greets a number of people. And in fact, it's the longest list of his greetings at the end of his letters. These people exhibit the characteristics he has praised throughout Romans, especially there at the end of chapter 15. He's trying to drive the letter home, seal the deal by saying these are the virtues that should be displayed in the life of the church and here are the people who live up to that picture. Paul throughout this letter has argued that Christians, all of us, we belong to the same family the family that's been redefined around the Messiah, Abraham's family, now we're a part of it. But that family looks a little different because of the work of Jesus the Messiah. We join that family because we're justified by faith and through the work of the Spirit we bear these characteristics as the fruit of the gospel. These people, what we read about in this list, this isn't who we are by nature. But this is the life that God forms in us. So let's spend one more Sunday morning considering what this list of names tells us about the gospel. And we looked at two last week. Let's look at four today. First, this list shows us the sufficiency of grace. Why does Paul greet these people? Well, there's a simple answer to that because these are fellow members of the household of faith. But how did they come to join in the one family of God? That's the story Paul's been telling throughout all of Romans that Jesus the Lord has been calling the nations to obey the faith. He's rescuing us from our fallen existence, he's uniting us with Jesus, the true human and shaping us by the Spirit into a new humanity. And that's how he fulfills all the promises he made to Israel long ago. That is God's grace in action. The people in Romans 1 look very different in Christ here at the end of Romans. God's grace in action and on display in this list. Let's look at a few incidences of that. First, the uh, second half of verse 5. Paul greets Eponidas and calls him the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Now, when Paul refers to Asia, he's referring to the region around Ephesus or the western part of modern Turkey. Now, Paul doesn't reach Ephesus until his third missionary journey, which is probably when he also wrote Romans, So Eponidas could have come to faith through the ministry of Priscilla and Aquila. And perhaps he then traveled with them to Rome, and that's how Paul has met this first convert to Christ in Asia. But the main point is that at one time, there were no Christians in Asia. There were no Christians in that area. But God, by his grace, penetrated that area and brought people to faith in Christ. That, after all, that's what the whole story of the book of Acts is. It's the story of how God the Holy Spirit acts to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. Paul begins his missionary travels because the Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. On the second missionary journey, the Spirit, interestingly, keeps Paul from preaching the word in Asia, and does not allow him to enter Bithynia. But then the Spirit gives Paul a vision of a man in Macedonia begging for help, and he concludes God has called them to preach the gospel there. And many people come to faith on all of these journeys, and churches are established. And so when God tells Paul, you can't go to Asia, nonetheless, someone goes. And Eponidas comes to faith as the first convert in that area. The gospel is always at work. It was at work through Paul. It was at work apart from Paul through the work of others. Furthermore, the gospel penetrates into some dark places we might not expect. In verses 10 and 11, Paul greets those who belong to the household of Aristobulus, and those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Now, Aristobulus is probably the dead brother of King Herod Agrippa I. That's the Herod who died in Acts 12, when he received the people's praise as a god. So, not exactly a Christian family, or a Christian household. Likewise, Narcissus, this was a favorite of the emperor Claudius, And Narcissus committed suicide after Claudius' death in A.D. 54. But within these households, the household still goes on, even though the namesake is dead. We find pockets of Christians. Again, these may have even been house churches meeting within these households. The gospel succeeds in all sorts of places. And not only does the gospel succeed but it gives sufficient grace if we suffer. And we noted last week that uh, Andronicus and Junia, the outstanding apostles in verse 7, they were in prison with Paul. In verse 10, Paul greets Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. And that phrase, stood the test, it has moral connotations. This is a person who has genuine character. It's been tested and proven, perhaps, by suffering. And this sufficient grace also extends to the suffering of disappointment and heartache, something that everybody in this room has experienced at one time or another. Recall what we said at the end of Romans 15. Paul had a strong desire to do ministry in Spain. He wanted the Romans to support him on his way to Spain. Perhaps he thought Rome will become the new Antioch, the new base for mission further and further into the West. That was Paul's desire. He wanted the Romans to support him on his way to Spain. However, as far as we know, Paul never got to Spain. There is no evidence that he ever made it to Spain. And in order to bring out the significance of that, I want to read you a, a quote. It's a wee bit longer, but I think this will really encourage our hearts. And forgive me if I get emotional reading this, but I think it's a strong quote. Listen to what one author writes on this idea. He asked, did Paul ever get to Spain? There is no evidence whatever that he did. But his desire to do so and the fact that he wrote Romans as part of the preparation for such a trip points out an extremely important lesson for us all. Perhaps God sometimes allows us to dream dreams of what he wants us to do, not necessarily so that we can fulfill all of them, but so that we will take the first steps towards fulfilling them. And perhaps those first steps, as they appear to us, are in fact the key things that God actually wants us to do. Paul may not have got to Spain. That didn't matter. The gospel got there fairly soon anyway. What mattered then is that as part of the plan to go to Spain, he wrote Romans. So we should never underestimate what God will do through things which we see as small steps to a larger and So did you follow that point? Paul wanted to go to Spain. And as part of his preparation to go to Spain, he wrote Romans. He didn't sit down and say, I'm going to write Romans, and it's going to be the greatest epistle ever. They'll study it for thousands of years. He thought, if I write this letter, it'll help convince them I'm a trustworthy messenger, and maybe they'll help me get to Spain because that's what I want to do. But he never got there. But he did, through the Spirit, give us this letter which has blessed the church continuously throughout its long history. Many times this letter has been at the center of moments of church reformation and church renewal. So maybe there are some things that you want to do for God, and time is running out. Or maybe it's gotten to the point where you're pretty sure it's just not going to happen at this point. But what are you doing to prepare for those things? What are you doing with the opportunities right now that God has given you? Because it may be that those opportunities, that's all God wants you to do. And if you do that, that will be enough. That will be sufficient. That will please him. You'll never do some of the things you can imagine, but you'll do what you can. And that will be good. To give one more quote, that great line. Uh, From the Lord of the Rings, when Frodo says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf says, so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Friends, you figure out what's given to you right now, and you go do that, and God will bless it. So this letter, these names, his plans, it teaches all of us the sufficiency of his grace. It also shows us, secondly, then, the love of the family. If there's one thing this list doesn't read like, it's a company directory. Do do phone services still do that? You know, you listen to all the options and okay, press eight. For a company directory. That, that, that makes me laugh. Like I know anybody at Capital One that I could talk to uh, and get help. But, but this list doesn't read like that. There's not the distance of the company. Nor does it read like you know a who's who in Roman society, the movers and shakers. No, it's a list of brothers and sisters in Christ who are invited to love one another in the family of the gospel. Look again at Paul's introduction of Phoebe. He calls her in verse 2, the benefactor of many people, including me. So Phoebe is a woman who had supported many people, including Paul. And this probably means exactly what it sounds like. She supported him in the ministry, perhaps by financial gifts, perhaps by providing food and lodging when Paul was in town. I mean, for all we know, she hosted the church in Chintria there in her home. She has shown love to the saints, an intangible means of support. So in return, Paul wants the Roman Christians to show love to her. That's in line with the principle he gave in the previous chapter where he wrote, if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. Those who have spiritual communion with one another should also share their material possessions with one another. And you know, Phoebe was probably a woman of means because she she was a benefactor of many people. But of course, now she's traveling. And you can't carry much money with you in the ancient world. There's no banks, travelers, checks, credit, or debit cards. Phoebe would be dependent on the Roman Christian's hospitality. And so Paul encourages them, share with her. After all, that's what family does. There's a few other hints of love that these Christians shared. Uh, In verse 5, Paul calls Eponidas his dear friend or beloved. He greets Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me, too. Now, by the way, this may be the son of Simon of Cyrene, who carried Jesus' cross, Uh, Mark mentions Simon and tells us that he had two sons, one of whom was named Rufus. Uh, uh, Peter, excuse me, Mark, most likely wrote uh, his gospel first to the Christians there in Rome. That's at least the traditional designation. So why would Mark go out of the way to include Rufus, Simon's son? Maybe because that Rufus now worshiped there in the church at Rome. Well, here in Paul's letter, he gives attention to Rufus' mother, Because Rufus's mother treated Paul like one of her sons. And then in verse 14, we have the familiar language of brothers and sisters. Of course, in verse 16, he tells them, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, don't worry, it's not essential uh, that we apply that literally. But it was a common greeting. In the ancient world, if you greeted your family with a kiss, it conveyed love. When you greeted people of your same social class, you would greet one another with a holy, or not a holy, but a kiss, which is an ordinary greeting in that day and age. So when Paul tells the Roman Christians to greet one another in this manner, he's sanctifying that as a sign of two things. One, family. This is your family. These are the people you love. And two, as an expression of equality. These are your people. This is your group. This is your social class, so to speak. So So there's love and equality in this body. And the Romans should communicate that to one another. And when you consider, remember some of the tensions in this church, Romans 14 and 15. This is just another way of Paul saying, receive one another. Welcome one. One another This is, is a sign of what the gospel can do. Third, this name list also shows us the power of a transformed life, the power of a transformed life. Now, I want to reread something I said when I introduced this series to us last year. I wanted to paint a background as, as we got into this letter of what Roman society was like. And I asked the question, what were Rome's goals as a society? And one author writes, the goals seem to have been primarily the honor and survival of Rome's own citizens and their descendants, preferably in comfortable, entertaining surroundings. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Not much different uh, from our own day and age. And when those goals were threatened, Rome would respond with savage ferocity. One example illustrates the point well. In A.D. 58, right about when Paul wrote Romans, an Armenian king tried to retake his ancestral lands, which Rome had held for more than 100 years. In response, the Roman general Corbula assembled a large army to secure glory and spoil for Rome. He first invaded the Armenian town of Volandum and murdered every adult in it. Those who were left alive were auctioned off as slaves. So that was probably the children. When he reached the Armenian capital, the people opened the gates and surrendered. They heard what had happened. They said, Well, we don't want that to happen to us. But Volandum didn't have enough soldiers to provide an occupation force. And Rome wouldn't get any glory if they couldn't keep the city, so they burnt it to the ground. And when it began to rain, when a thunderstorm appeared afterwards and and, and put out the fire, the Romans said, oh, that's a sign that the god Jupiter approves our actions. So if you wanted peace, if you wanted life, if you wanted justice, you better be a Roman. But depending on when and where you were born, you may or may not have access to that. So to that city, to that culture, Paul sends a bold and yet gracious message. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is. Yes, a rejected peasant Jew is actually the Lord of the world. The one you think is just some freedom fighter who got killed down in Syria. He is the world's true Lord. And you can't use his world without acknowledging the creator. But Jesus is the means by which creation's glory is regained. And so Paul, through this letter, has told the story. Here's how God brings salvation. Here's how God restores glory to his creation. And that glory and salvation are available to everyone, even the Romans. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the culture. In which many of these people, the names in this list, that is the culture where they were born and raised. And it would have been very easy, it would have been natural for them to follow in its wake. To try to scratch and claw their way to survival and success in that brutal world. But those aren't the people whom Paul greets. Well, they are those people. But they aren't those kind of people anymore. They've been transformed. They've been renewed. How? By the power of the gospel. And so now they find themselves as those who share with one another, who love one another, who suffer for the gospel, who work hard for the Lord, who persevere in the faith. These are truly new creations in Christ. That is the transforming power of the gospel. And that was Paul's strategy, to bring renewal to people in that day and age. And so lastly, let's consider here, as we close, the necessity of participation. Let me just draw your attention to one last detail. In the list of names. So throughout this whole list, if you run your eye down the page, you see the word "greeted" over and over again. Now what doesn't come through easily in English is that Paul is not using the first person singular form of the verb. In other words, he's not saying I greet." He's using the second person plural, which we could render as I want you to greet. Now, I know that's a little clunky, but I hope you can see Paul's point. By asking them to greet one another, by sending his greetings by means of them and having them communicate the greeting, he is once again reiterating his plea that the Roman Christians receive one another. And he is inviting them to participate in greeting and receiving one another. It's not just a thing from Paul to them. It's from Paul through them and to them. And so I say, and this is different from how other greetings at times are constructed. So this stands out as unique. And so I say you can't appreciate the life of the gospel without participating in it. Paul wants the Roman Christians to be involved with one another. He has no conception of Lone Ranger Christianity. The church should not merely be an institution where people come in and consume religious services. Now, we do come in to worship. We do come in to hear the word, but we are also a community united together, united together in life United together in mission, and that involves a certain level of interaction, love, and care for one another. And that is a life together that will flow from our adherence to and our faith in the gospel. So let's give thanks to God, and let's pray for the powerful work of the Spirit in this community. Father in heaven, thank you for the mercies of God in Christ. Thank you for what the gospel does. We have read this letter together, preached through most of it, and seen the beauty, the power of the gospel, exactly as your word says, the power of God unto salvation. So we bow humbly here at the end of our worship time in your presence to say thank you for giving us such grace and for giving us such good news. Those who are hungry and thirsty in a world full of brutality or sin, it's good to hear refreshing good news. So Lord, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us for when we walk or live out of step with the gospel, when we don't bear this fruit and maybe even those moments of temptation where we feel the tug to make the good decision and to bear fruit and yet we give in to the easy way or or the way that feels good in the moment. Lord, forgive us of those sins and help us to persevere in our faith and to work hard at cultivating virtue and may we know that life-giving voice of the spirit to form these characteristics in us and to show us that this is the good way in which we can walk and help us to find great delight power and success victory in doing so so thank you for your mercies thank you for your grace send us out now today with your blessing may it be a restful and refreshing day for your people and we ask these things in Jesus' name amen And let's sing then in closing hymn 55, to God be the glory. Hymn 55, we'll sing these three verses. Stand with me, please.